0: You know, it was really distracting actually when we were in the middle of worship just then because just through those doors, obviously they're cooking a roast dinner and you just get waves of this smell, um, which does smell very good. So I will try and keep it short because I know that everyone wants to go and eat their dinner and I've only got four, yeah 42 pages, so we shouldn't, <laughs> shouldn't be here for too long. Um, but a Sunday roast is a tradition, isn't it? That's what I'm going to start off talking about today, a tradition. Um, because traditions are important. We all have our own traditions. Um, and I'm not sure if you're aware, but it is already June, okay? So Christmas is very close. And I want to I start talking about Christmas traditions, because we've, we've all got our own <laughs> Christmas traditions. Um, some of you are going to splash out on orange juice and salmon, and you're going to put your orange juice in your champagne, so it's a breakfast drink um, before (laughs) lunchtime. But when I was growing up, we just had a cup of tea and a bacon sandwich. Every single year, Christmas, that's what we'd start the day with. Um, And some of you will spend the morning waiting for family to arrive at a respectable time before having your Christmas dinner, and then maybe open presents afterwards. But in our house, there was not a single present left unopened by 7 o'clock in the morning. In fact... If my two sisters, my brother, and I hadn't woken my parents up before five, the day was lost. It was over as far as we were concerned. And some of you will fall onto the sofa, stuffed full of turkey by three o'clock, and watch The Queen. But for us, we always settled for something a bit more musical. It was never prearranged, but on Christmas Day, every year, somewhere on one of the channels, there's always an old musical. So, Chitty Chitty Bang Bang was a great one, I loved that. Singing in the Rain was a really nice surprise. Sound of Music, well, fortunately, we had presents to play with when that was on. But for me... Oh, that was a contentious point, wasn't it? For me, it was uh, The Wizard of Oz. I loved The Wizard of Oz, that was the jackpot. The idea of this magical world with witches and munchkins and yellow brick roads and flying monkeys was just captivating. I absolutely loved it. Um, for those who don't know, The Wizard of Oz is a story about a young girl who finds herself in a place far away from home. Uh, and her only way to get back is to find the Wizard of Oz and ask him for help. And she's accompanied by three companions a tin man who wants to ask the wizard for a heart, a scarecrow who wants a brain, and a lion who wants courage. Now, having a brain, we can all figure out, means being intelligent. And I'm sure that all of us in this room at one time or another have just wished we were a little bit smarter. And maybe you've been in a group of friends and didn't quite understand a joke. It just goes right over your head and you think, oh, I wish I understood that. Um, and this happens to me quite often. My, two of my closest friends are maths teachers. Um, my little brother has a, a master's degree in mechanical engineering. Um, and whenever people talk about numbers, It just goes right over my head. I just, I can't understand it. Something in my brain goes, no, numbers are not for you. And so whenever they're talking about that, I just dry up. I glaze over and I panic a bit. Okay, I have to stop. Um, And the tin man wanted a heart. And that means he wanted empathy. He wanted to be able to love. How often have we been having a conversation with somebody about a less than liked figure, perhaps a political figure, and we find ourselves unable to feel sorry for them. I think it's one of the most challenging things about being a good Christian, is knowing someone's heart and their intentions, understanding their desires and their needs and their feelings, disagreeing with them, and still loving them. It's tough. But for me, it was always the cowardly lion that I like best, so much so my look is very inspired by him. When I think of courage, that word courage, my mind goes straight to swords and knights in shining armor, princesses and towers and uh, dragons that would eat you as soon as look at you. It's almost as if that word courage has been lost in time somewhere. Courage is just bravery. But when we think of bravery, we struggle to link it to our own lives and apply it because we don't often recognize day-to-day bravery, which is what we're going to talk about today. I remember when I was a kid watching the Pride of Britain Awards. Do you remember those? They're um, not really, I don't know, I don't even know if, well, they are still going, I know that, but I don't know if they're televised. But they're awards that were given to people who have, who have performed incredible acts of bravery. So when I was writing this speech, I did a bit of research and I found that the Pride of Britain Awards are still going um, and they celebrate people like Peter Fuller. Peter Fuller, in 2015, put his life on the line when he stopped a crazed man with a machete from murdering a shopper during a racist attack in a supermarket. He did not go into that supermarket looking for a fight. He didn't go in there trying to show how brave he was. He was there, um, saw an awful situation, and just summoned the courage to do a great, albeit very dangerous, thing. And I'm sure a lot of you will remember Malala, um, who was 15 years old, uh, when she began to openly speak out against the Pakistani Taliban, who in her home country of Pakistan often denied young girls education. Malala found the courage to speak out about that, uh, which is incredibly brave, because she was speaking out against a violent group who were causing harm in the world, and she, at 15, was brave enough to speak out um, about those people. And then one day, when she was on a school bus on her way to school, terrorists stopped the vehicle. And they asked for Malala. And when she identified herself, she said, I'm, I am her. They shot her in the head for what she'd been saying. Now, miraculously, by the grace of God, she survived that. Uh, and after showing that, that huge amount of bravery by speaking out, her courage was renewed. And she continued to fight for those girls and still fights today today for those girls who are being denied education. This is what we think of when we think of bravery. We think of these great acts, and they're incredible, but they're very extreme. Bravery, or courage, exists in our day-to-day lives. When we've got to talk to our bosses and own up to mistakes we've made, that's bravery. When you've explained to a loved one that you don't think they're acting in their best interests, that's bravery. When you're honest in a social setting about feeling weak or down or tired or depressed or anxious, that is courage. But as Christians, we're lucky because we don't have to do that alone. In fact, we're specifically told, don't do that alone. In the book of Matthew, Jesus lost a close friend. John the Baptist was killed by Herod, and Jesus was distraught. It was one of his good friends. And in life, we often experience loss. It's all consuming, impossible to avoid, and when it happens, it can be difficult to find the courage to move on. It seems insensitive to say to someone who is bereft, but finding that courage to confront their loss is often the key to start recovery. Jesus found himself in mourning. Although he knew John was in a better place with God, he still struggled with the loss of his friend, as any one of us would, which is where we're going to pick up um, uh, in Matthew now. So I'm just going to read to you um, a story. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up on the mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone and the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by waves because the wind was against it. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Lord, if it is you... Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down off the boat, walked on the water and came towards Jesus. Peter was immediately brave. He asked Jesus to call him and as soon as he did, he stepped off the boat and walked on water. I I think it can be quite difficult to visualize that, um, perhaps less so for those of you who were raised in Guernsey, but I'm from the Midlands, okay? We don't have seas. We don't have lakes. We've got a river that's about 10 metres wide, and that's it. Okay, It's not very deep. But uh, this is not a small pond. It's a huge lake, just like the sea. And the Bible has told us that there was a storm. The boat was a considerable distance from shore. So no one was able to come and help Peter. There were no helicopters or RNLI to help him. That boat was being buffeted. That word buffeted, which means the waves were aggressively hitting the side of that boat. And yet, Jesus told Peter to come to him, and he did so. Without a second thought, Peter found courage and stepped off the boat. And there have been times, and perhaps will be times again, when everyone in this room has felt as though they are being called to do something, but don't take the leap for fear of failure. But what we learn here is that there is no failure in Christ. By doing as he tells us, whether in person, through prayer, through the Bible, we can succeed. We can walk on water. Let's carry on reading. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and, beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You have little faith, he said. Why did you doubt? As soon as Peter began to feel as though he was in danger, Jesus was there for him. He didn't hesitate to help Peter, even though he'd began to doubt Jesus. This is an important message for all of us. Jesus doesn't give up on us. Whenever you feel as though you've been abandoned, you haven't. He's still there. It's just sometimes you need to go to him. And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly, you are the son of God. Once Peter had trusted in Jesus, once he had achieved the impossible through the grace of God, he began to doubt. He switched his focus. I'm sure there are quite a lot of people uh, in this room who have been in car accidents, hopefully only mild ones. But you'll know that if it was your fault, they didn't happen when you were concentrating on the road or being mindful about other road users. They happened when you allowed your mind to wander. When you began to look at the scenery, I've been in Guernsey now for nearly six months, and I've only had two accidents. <laughs> Fortunately, neither involved another car. Both involved massive granite walls, <laughs> which I'm pretty sure moved by themselves. The first time was uh, the bend up by Ladies' College, um, and I was driving towards town on, that, you know the wall. Um, I lost my concentration, then I lost a wing mirror. It's £40 gone. I was really angry at myself. I knew I hadn't been paying attention and that I had lost my focus. I promised myself I wouldn't do it again, and I didn't for a couple of weeks. (laughs) Then coming down the fricay, I got too close to the side, ran ran over a big stone, lost a tyre, £60 gone. Still now, I have to tell myself to keep focusing. Just like Peter found out, focusing on Jesus isn't passive. It doesn't just happen. It takes effort. Okay? You have to choose to concentrate. You have to make a conscious effort to focus on Christ and ignore the bad around you. I recently read an article about a particular stretch of road in Staffordshire, um, which found that there was an increase in traffic accidents at the site of ongoing traffic accidents. It's called rubbernecking. Uh, People are so interested in what's happening when there's been a crash that they change their focus. They stop worrying about driving, and they start looking at what's going on over there. Um, And that's when they crash. And this can be related to Peter's scenario too. There was a storm happening all around him. It was scary. He was in a bad situation. And rather than focusing on God, he focused on the storm. Peter was focused on the Lord, and as he did so, he was able to achieve the impossible. And as soon as his focus changed, so did his ability to trust in Jesus. He began to sink. As his trust faltered, so did his courage, and he began to feel fear. And Jesus said, you of little faith. His lack of faith caused an increase in fear and a lack of courage. Through Jesus, we are all brave. We are all courageous. When our faith begins to weaken, things can begin to go wrong. Had Peter focused on Jesus the entire time, he would not have begun to sink. He would not have felt fear and cried to the Lord for help. He would have succeeded. We can learn several lessons from Peter in this account, um, but let's go for the old church favourite and split it into three. Okay. The first is that Jesus did not calm the waters when Peter asked him, to call him onto the lake. He didn't want to calm the waters. He wanted Peter to walk through the storm to him. Very often in life, we listen to what people say and we come to a conclusion, which makes perfect sense. If I randomly said, I don't like olives, I'm not uh, trying to pass on a secret message, there's no subtext to that, it's just fact, okay? That's just the sentence. But then we can often learn a lot about what people don't say. Actions speak louder than words, which can be applied to this situation. Jesus is God. God is all-powerful. If he thought it was necessary, Jesus could have stopped the waves crashing and could have made Peter's walk on the water much easier. But he didn't. Because through storms, Jesus is our strength. Trusting in him will help us to weather storms. Think of Jesus as a lighthouse helping us through the night. So number one, Jesus wants us to know that in the darkest and hardest of times, he is there with us. The second is that risks, albeit sensible ones, are extremely important in faith. Now, I'm not suggesting you remortgage your house, book a flight to Vegas and put it all on red. That's not what they're saying here. But it means that when you trust in Jesus, you need to step off that boat when he calls you. That calling might be something small, like changing a habit, or it might be something bigger, like moving away. But the fact remains, Jesus doesn't want you to just get by. He wants you to make the world a better place in his name. He wants you to spread his message and help people to feel his love. And sometimes that involves risk. Sometimes that involves taking a leap of faith and stepping off the boat finally, when you listen to what Jesus tells you to do, when you're in the middle of a difficult storm and there's no sign of it letting up, when you're scared about what's coming next and you take that risk that's presented to you, through Jesus, we can all achieve amazing things. I can't quite express just how amazing that is. This isn't a story, okay? The Bible is littered with verifiable facts. Even without faith, You find it difficult to disprove the Bible. And with faith, we need to take a step back and just appreciate what's happening here. Jesus not only walked on water, but a man, a human, like you or I, was able to do it too. Because Jesus made it so. Jesus made it so. Now... Although Peter really did walk on water, Jesus isn't telling us that if we all go down to Cobo and try really hard, that we'll succeed. But it's a metaphor, okay? So walking on water for Peter might be your version of attending church, might be your version of submitting that job application, might be your version of breaking away from an unhealthy relationship. Through Jesus, we can have the courage to weather storms, make difficult decisions, and achieve great things. Courage is a recurring theme throughout the Bible, the Old Testament and the New Testament. I'd just like to touch on another example of a similar teaching, a more compact verse that uh, we can all take away with us today. Moses was an extremely brave man. After being born uh, into a world where his people were slaves, he was left by his mother to keep him safe. And I'm sure she would have quite liked the idea that in her absence, He was brought up with Egyptian royalty to live a safe and rich life where he could be comfortable. But Moses knew God and knew that what was happening around him was wrong and needed to change. He chose to leave his life of comfort and bravely lead the Israelites out of Egypt with danger at every turn. But he had God on his side and through God he found courage. In Deuteronomy, when Moses was 120 years old, he continued to teach the Israelites and he said, be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be in dread of them for it is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous. That's the same message Jesus teaches the disciples when they first see him and they're scared. And it's the same message he teaches Peter when he becomes aware of the storm around him. Do not fear or be in dread of them, for it is the Lord your God who goes with you. God is with us all of the time. When we put our trust in him, we have nothing to fear. What better protection is there than when you've got God on your side? He will not leave you or forsake you. That statement is incredible. Think back to earlier when we spoke about how we can learn things from uh, from what people don't say. This sentence doesn't have conditions. It doesn't say, so long as you follow the Bible word for word. It doesn't say, only if you were born in a particular country. It doesn't say, only if you worship God in a particular way. It says, he will not leave you or forsake you. Once you commit, that's it. He's got your back. So, what can we take away from this and how can we apply it to our lives? Well, in a few weeks, we've got UpFest. Um, which is happening here at Shiloh, which is a huge undertaking. And you'd better believe that Chrissy and Nathan and the elders and those serving Nutfest will be praying like mad for courage. And through Jesus, they will also pull off the seemingly impossible. But you might need courage too. There will be hundreds of people gathering in one space, and not all of them will have been saved. Perhaps your courage will be shown through your steadfast faith in Jesus and model to those how Jesus can change a life. Perhaps you're here today and you haven't let Jesus into your heart yet. Your courage might be shown through just turning up and experiencing the love of Jesus. Perhaps you're going to be undertaking a role in Upfest and you've never served before. Your courage will be shown through your willingness to help others in the name of Jesus. Outside of Upfest, perhaps your courage will be the phone call you've been dreading or the bill you've been putting off or making the choice to come back here next Sunday to continue to explore how Jesus can change your life. Jesus isn't trying to trick you. Although the road ahead may look uncertain or scary or even dangerous, through Jesus we can achieve the impossible. Jesus wants you to step off the boat. He won't push you, mind. You have to go to him, but know that once you do, he will be there for you with open arms. He will not leave you or forsake you. Once Dorothy got to Oz, once she had exposed the wizard as being just an ordinary man from America behind a green curtain, he goes on to perform an extraordinary act. When the tin man, the scarecrow and the lion are given small little trinkets to represent their wishes, he tells them that their empathy, their intelligence, and their courage was inside them all along. And I know it's cheesy, but it's true of all of us here today. The key to unlocking that is through Jesus. Through him, we are all loving. Through him, we are knowledgeable. We know what's right and how to do the right thing. And we are brave so long as we trust in Jesus with our whole hearts. I received a lovely text this morning uh, from Lex, who um, had a verse come to her mind, and it was about courage, and it wasn't one that I'd mentioned today, and I thought that's really poignant and really important. It's it's an important message to share. And then Chrissy came up and did a prayer before, um, well, earlier before, um, and it was the exact same verse that verse is from Joshua. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed. For the Lord God is with you wherever you go. And I think that's a really important message for us to take on. It's repeated again. God has repeatedly this morning put this word courageous in my heart to share with all of you. Joshua took over from Moses. And in the... First nine verses of the first chapter of Joshua, God tells Joshua to be courageous three times. Because even when God is speaking to you, you still need to be reminded of that. It's not a switch. You can't just flick it. We need focus. So we need to take that thought of being courageous with us as we go into the next week. We need to make a conscious effort to keep our focus And remind yourself that God says to take courage and to be strong.